0: A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. 97 i went a little crazy i didn't really know what was wrong with me but for about a month i was feeling really jittery i thought maybe it had something to do with christmas but i didn't really know why then the new year came and i started feeling nauseous and jittery my heart would race like i'd just finished running a sprint and my stomach would flip around like i was in the middle of a roller coaster ride a few times i thought i was having a mild heart attack but then i never had one I remember vividly one Sunday morning, I was playing piano for the Sunday service and I started getting that feeling again, that racing heart. I thought, oh man, this is it. I'm going to have a heart attack. And I told myself, no, that'd be so distracting. Don't have a heart attack. No, finish playing these songs, then get down and then have a heart attack. That didn't make sense. But then again, neither did feeling anxious when I couldn't think of anything I was anxious about. I overheard some lady in the hall at church talking about panic attacks one day. She wasn't talking to me and I was pretty sure she wasn't talking about me either because I hadn't shared with her what I was battling in my mind. But her conversation did catch my attention. I thought, panic attack, I wonder if that's it. But I'm not panicky. I mean, I know panicky. A few years earlier, I was climbing up a ladder to get into a backyard tree to attach a rope for something our kids were doing. I was sitting in the spot Right where the branches extend out from the trunk in a V, and my fear of heights kicked in. I didn't know how I was going to get down. I was climbing up and didn't think that much about how high I was going because all I was looking at was the tree trunk. But climbing down, now I could see the ground and I saw how far I'd come. The older boys were at the bottom of the tree telling me, just jump. They were about five years old. My daughter was telling me, it isn't even that far. And she was three. My youngest son was taking a nap. He wasn't there. I kept rearranging myself in the crook of the tree, trying to attack my descent from a different angle, and nothing helped. The ladder looked like it shrunk. I could read the yellow sticker at the very top that said, warning, this is not a step. I could also see pictured a silhouette of a man falling backward with arms and legs spread eagle on his way down. Right now, you might be thinking, if you could have seen the sticker so clearly, you obviously weren't up that high. And to you, I say... Thank you for paying such good attention. Anyway, I was still panicky, and I'm standing up here thinking, how am I going to get down? My neighbor called out from her window, do you need help? No, I said, I just need some courage. And I tried to figure out a new way to attack it. My kid said, is this an emergency? I told them no, and I laughed. I said, if I can't get down all day long, then it might be. One of them said, I know, I'll call 911. And I laughed as I had my face up against the trunk of the tree. I laughed until I heard the back door slam shut and then my adrenaline kicked in. Even though it was no match for my three speedy kids, I made my way down, shimmied down the seven feet, mocked myself for being such a wuss, and I ran into the house to now answer a ringing phone. Yes, hi, yes, this is 911. Uh Uh-huh, yep, mm -hmm, I'm their mom. Yep, I made it down. Thanks for checking. Sorry about that. What? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I won't be climbing trees anytime soon. (laughs) Anyway, that was then. And that was panicky. But this is now. And it wasn't an imminent danger. I wasn't on the big dip of a roller coaster. I just always felt like I was. And I was crying so easily. And not for any reason. I just caught myself every so often with tears rolling down my cheeks. What was my problem? I couldn't focus and I couldn't think. My best friend was a nurse and her husband was a doctor, so I told them kind of how I was feeling. She said, You know, it sounds like you might be having panic attacks and anxiety. I told her, I was pretty sure that wasn't it. And then I explained my reasoning. But it did get me thinking, certainly thinking enough to contact a woman that I had heard give a testimony once about her depression and how she kind of had worked through that. I knew what I was feeling wasn't the same thing, but It was kind of a brain thing, so I thought maybe she'd have some answers. I went over to her house, sat down, and talked with her a little bit, and she told me about a workbook she had that was so helpful called the Depression Workbook. And she said they also have one called the Anxiety Workbook. She said that might be helpful. It explains kind of the symptoms you're having, and it it might be something you want to look into. So I went to the local bookstore and asked if they had one. I looked all over on the shelf, When I couldn't find it. I asked the man at the counter if he carried it. He told me, well, we normally do, but we're out of them. I said, no, no, are you kidding me? What am I going to do? What do I, if I need it? He looked super nervous until I told him I was kidding. And then I placed my order. I walked away thinking, well, I obviously don't have anxiety if I can joke about it. My heart attack scares were coming more often now. And my good thoughts seemed fewer and farther between. I started quoting scripture a little more regularly. We lived in a house that was built in 1900. It had as big staircase as you walk in, and you'd go up the stairs. Then you'd go down the hall on the second floor, and then you'd go down a narrow flight of stairs, and it put you out in kind of like this back-enclosed porch, and would enter into the kitchen. So what I would do is I'd march up the front stairs, quoting scripture. I'd march down the hall. I'd go down the back stairs, turn left, and left again, quoting scripture and crying, quoting scripture and crying crying, and quoting scripture. I just kept doing laps. Then it was Tuesday. I was preparing for a Bible study that I was teaching the next day on the holiness of God. I was getting ready. I had a notebook in front of me and my pen in hand, and I had nothing. I ended up lying down on the floor of my room with my face buried in the carpet The carpet was getting soaked with tears and snot, and my heart was racing, and I was crying out to the Lord again and again, help me, please help me. These ladies need to hear from you, and I have nothing. Please, Lord, give me words from your word. And through my tears, I started writing furiously. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I wrote about how God's holiness was evident in the Old Testament. I wrote about how it was evident in the New Testament. I wrote about how God's holiness was mentioned in Revelation and how he's seated on his throne in the heavenly realms. I wrote down what the angels were singing and I wrote about how God shows his holiness in our present day, how he calls each one of us to be holy as he is holy and to live lives of holiness. I knew what I was writing was true. I believed it with my whole heart. And I tore the tear stained pages from my yellow legal sized notebook, folded them in half, and stuck them in my Bible. The next morning, I dropped off the older kids at school and taught the study. I walked right off the platform when I got done and walked right into the bathroom and started to cry again. Only this time, it wasn't tears rolling down my cheeks. It was sobs, and I honestly thought I was losing my mind. I made my way to the car in the parking lot and drove home. i had called my parents who lived two hours away. They met me later that night at my house. My dad was a doctor and was concerned. My mom was concerned too, because, well, she was my mom. My dad said he thought I might be struggling with anxiety. I cried and told him, nah, probably not. I'm not anxious about anything. He just nodded and said, why don't you come with me to the drugstore? We got there and he wrote me a prescription for a medication that he said I should take as needed. I just said, well, I won't take that because I don't need it. I was afraid I'd become addicted. I didn't want to feel fuzzy. I felt like I shouldn't need it. I felt like a failure as a Christian. I quoted Philippians 4.8. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving for crying out loud, present your requests to God. I said that up my front steps, through my hall, and down my back steps too. I then quoted Psalm 23 and passages from Revelation, and I quoted as many things as I could until I couldn't quote anything anymore. The next evening, we had to go to a party to welcome the new pastor to our church. We were supposed to go and play games and bring the fun. My parents left as the babysitter arrived. My husband went into the kitchen with the babysitter and was showing her written directions. While he was doing that, I was taking a pill, standing in the middle of my driveway with my dad handing me a glass of water, saying, I'm not leaving until you take this and you need to take this. So I did. It wasn't long after that, all of a sudden I thought, you know what, keep in mind, I'm not endorsed by any pharmaceutical company, but as my parents drove away for the first time in quite a while, it was like my brain was running on a track instead of doing stunts at an air show. We made it to the party we came back home. I think I was smiling and I think I was saying socially appropriate things. The next day I got up and I prayed. I told the Lord that I needed healing, and I didn't know exactly what that would look like. I told him, okay, I'm fine having anxiety if this is a good plan of his, but I needed to know how to handle it. I put one of my newly acquired pills in my pocket. I told my youngest son we'd go to Arby's for lunch. We'd go there once a week, and we would do reading lessons. I bought a bunch of books that were at his reading level. He was almost five, and I'd hide them in their fake trees decorations. And we'd sit, we'd have our sandwich and our curly fries. And then I'd say, hey, Tim, you should see if there's a book over there. And he'd go and look and he'd be surprised every single time that there was this really new book. So I told him we were going to do that that day. So as we're standing in Arby's waiting in line for lunch, I looked at him and I said, Tim, what do you think? Think that maybe we should just get our food to go and head home? He looked up at me and said, no, and laughed like I just told him a joke. As I looked into his sweet, clear blue eyes, I thanked the Lord for this boy, this four-year-old who I knew he was going to use to get me out of my house and out of my bed. We ate our sandwiches. He discovered his book. He crawled up onto my lap to read. A man walked by and said to my son, you're pretty lucky to have a mom teach you how to read. And he walked away. That man was pretty mistaken right there, though, because I knew with everything I was that I was the one who was blessed to have this little boy to cling to, as I also was learning how, in a new way, to cling to my Heavenly Father. The months of January and February continued in this way. Eventually, I did get that anxiety notebook that I'd ordered, and I read about my symptoms. I found out why it really felt like I was having a heart attack when I really wasn't. I embraced the fact that I was struggling with anxiety. I told my kids what was going on in my head. Each day I forced myself to leave my house. I shared my struggle with friends. I shared my struggle with family. I asked people to pray for me. I walked around with a pill to take in my pocket in case I needed it. I had a prayer on my lips and a passage in my heart. Seriously, all three of those things. That pill of prayer in a passage. There were passages in scripture that were so meaningful to me at that time. Psalm 94, 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Let me read that one more time. It says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. And here's what I knew. Anxiety was always great within me. And here's what I clung to, that promise that God's consolation was going to bring joy to my soul. I was understanding on a deeper level how God could bring consolation and comfort to the very deepest parts of me. I gained a greater appreciation for the Holy Spirit's power and presence in my life. I understood what John meant in John 16 when he called the Holy Spirit the comforter. I looped a song that talked about how sometimes God calms a storm and sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms the child instead. I remember in March I was attending an all-staff meeting at our church. Our new pastor asked us to go around and share with the group how we'd describe our relationship with the Lord. When it was my turn, I said, I felt like I was hanging on by a thread and was desperately clinging to Him. And then I corrected it. I said, no, actually, I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread, desperately clinging to Him while dangling over a cliff and that I knew my grip would not be strong enough to hold on, but I was trusting in his that was strong enough to hold me. I explained I was learning what John 15 said when it said the branches were clinging to the vine and then they couldn't do anything without him. I shared this and then I went into the bathroom and cried. Eventually, I was able to go a few days without crying. I found myself taking the pill out of my pocket at night and setting it on my dresser and putting the same one in my pocket the next day few times I forgot it altogether. As the winter months came to a close, I started thinking more clearly. Actually, I was thinking more clearly than I ever had. I understood on a deeper level what Paul meant when he wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I used to think these verses were like a boost up. Like, normally I'm good. I got this. I'll go about my day. I'll prep it. I'll plan it. I'll live it. I'll love it. (laughs) I sound like I'm playing that game. Bop it. Prep it. Plan it. (laughs) Live it. Love it. anyway, I I felt like I I have this under control. I'll go about my day. And if I ever thought, you know, things are getting a little bit difficult right now. This is feeling a little bit hard. God's grace would kick in and bring me up to the level of my strengths. And I'd go, oh, yeah, thanks, God. Thanks for helping me in that weakness. But I now understood these verses in a new light and myself way more clearly. My whole me was a weakness, not in a... Pathetic, oh, feel sorry for me, I'm super bad at everything sort of way. But in a, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15 sort of way. All I bring to the table is my sin and brokenness. I bring need and I bring hurt. And what I receive is forgiveness and healing. And all I need for all I need. God's power is perfect in our weakness. And so as that winter came to a close and the buds began to appear on the trees and the smell of spring came out in the air, I told the Lord to please remind me of this always. And if I ever once again thought I had a strength apart from him to bring me back to the place where my face was planted in that wet, soggy carpet and I lay prostrate before him saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. As spring was turning to summer, our family was invited to an all-staff party for our church. We went with our kids, and we were going to play that game, Taboo. I don't know if you've played that before, but you're trying to get your teammates to say a word. But in the game, they give you a list of words you aren't allowed to say as you describe it. Like, For example, if the word was shop, you wouldn't probably be able to say the word store or sale or buy or stuff like that. Anyway, we were divided into teams to play and our family was all in one group. It was my husband's turn to give clues at that time. So he's going to get the rest of us to try to guess his word. So he starts out and his clue is like, "Uh, um, mom got this a few months ago, he said, as he looked at us. And the guesses came like a tidal wave. My kids nervous, anxiety, panic attacks, crying, medication, and while the whole room was totally full of anxiety for me, it was this great freeing moment because I realized there was no anxiety in me. For one, I cared cared so not at all what anyone else in the room was thinking, and I was so grateful for the peace I had within me, and I was laughing so hard. I looked at my husband, and I'm like, can you not think of another clue? to which my husband laughing replied, "Ah, uh, not anymore as the timer went off." He looked at us, he was laughing and I was laughing and he said super sheepishly, "Uh, bread maker." It was uh bread maker. <laughs> I was still laughing and I looked at him and I said, "Well, maybe someday this will make a good story."